we're looking at Jesus' parables, and uh, a parable is a story with a twist, it, uh, a twist which reveals something about God. Another way to think of the parables is they are kind of like mirrors and windows. And, and what we're going to find, oftentimes there's a mirror lesson in the parable that reflects something about us, but there's also a uh, not just a mirror lesson, there is a window lesson, and it's something that we can't understand about God. And here's what we'll find. It's easy to catch the mirror lesson anytime you go through reflective or you, you see a window with reflective glass. And so say you're passing by that window, the first thing you're going to be conscious of is what it reflects about you. And you're going to do this and fix your hair if you have any hair. And then, or fix, and so, but there's not just that. If you get closer to that reflective glass, you can look through it and see what's on the other side. And that's what we'll find about the parables, that it's, it says something obvious about ourselves, but sometimes it's tricky to make sure we catch what it reveals about God. That will be especially true in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus earlier had outlined how to deal with someone when they sin against you. And what Jesus instructed them to do was go to that person yourself, take another two or three people along, then uh, tell it to the church if they still don't kind of reconcile, and after that, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Peter's question relates to, okay, how many times do I need to do this process? How many times do I need to go through this process? Um, They were taught by the rabbis growing up to forgive somebody three times. And so Peter says, okay, should I forgive them up to seven times? And Jesus tells Peter that 77 times is more like it. And then he relates a parable, a story with a twist, a story with mirrors and windows to further address Peter's question. And here's the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Kings would entrust day-to-day affairs of their kingdom to the management of servants, and one of one job they would give to a servant was to collect tax revenue. So the servant of the king went and collected tax revenue from the people that owed him taxes, subjects in his kingdom. And there, this king, every once in a while, would have an audit to check how much he, they, the king received from these individuals who collected taxes, make sure that they didn't skim any and defraud the king. The debt of one of these servants was astronomical. It was found that he was delinquent or he was 10,000 talents light. Uh, Just to give you a sense for what kind of number that is, Herod the Great ruled over Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. He had an annual tax revenue. He collected about 900 talents in a year. This guy owed 10 
thousand talents. 10, 11, 12 times the gross tax revenue of Israel at the time. The crowd listening to Jesus would have gasped. And that's important to understand. The, the, the immeasurable gap, the immeasurable, excuse me, debt that Jesus is talking about. Um, a fan, there was a, an, a fantastic amount of money. If you were to throw a word at it, our slang would be zillions of dollars. He owed, he owed the king zillions of dollars. Uh, since he was unable to repay his debt, he and his family were to be sold in order to raise at least some funds for the king. That happened. People were sold into slavery. And so you take this guy, you sell him into slavery, you receive a, a payment for this guy's slave services. And sometimes that's how the debt, he couldn't pay the debt, but that's how we could at least get some money out of it. Um, what happened, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The servant promises to pay it back, depending on exactly how much money this is. A laborer made a denarius a day. And so to be able to make 10,000 talents, he'd have to work 60 million days or about 193,000 years to pay off this debt. Be merciful to me and I'll pay it all back. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not a very realistic sense of his indebtedness. Not a very realistic sense of how much he owed. Uh, the point is that no king would do what this king did. And this is, gets us to, we're going to run into mirror lessons. When Jesus finishes this parable, he's going to say something that's going to cause us to look at ourselves and go, holy smokes. But let's not miss the mirror. Let's not miss the window lesson here. Um, canceling a debt like this is something no king could do. Something that was 11 times the gross annual revenue that the Forgiving a debt like this would cripple a country the size of Israel at the time. And uh, no king would do this. Um, and that's, we'll need to remember that. But what ends up happening, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Uh, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This guy, the the guy who was just had the $10,000 debt, he would have had to work for 196,000 years to pay off that debt. This guy would have to work about four months. That's what the, it was. A, it was a doable debt, possible to repay. Um, So about four months wages and the, the servant was forgiven a debt about almost 600 times greater. The second servant pleads for mercy with almost exact, the exact words the first servant used when he requested that he be shown mercy so he could pay it all back. The unforgiving servant does not do for the other what he would like the other to do for him. And he hypocritically accepts mercy, but is not willing to grant it. What happened? When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything 
that it happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Uh, the fellow servants are horrified at this glaring hypocrisy. Uh, he's been forgiven a debt that would take lifetimes to repay. He refused to forgive a debt that could be repaid in a couple of months. The other servants tell the king he angrily reviews, reverses his compassionate decision and severely punishes the servant. The evil servant is to be tortured until the king is repaid. Um, he can't be repaid. I guess the way it would work is family would find out that this person has been given over to the torturers. And in order to decrease his suffering, they would do what they could, give what they could to the king. Hopefully that that would decrease his suffering. Um, and then here is a mirror statement that's difficult. Uh, this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Uh, and this lands. This is what causes us to look at this parable, look in the, the mirror of it and say, what is he saying? And he doesn't just say, forgive your brother, if you forgive your brother from the heart. Forgiving your brother from the heart is not fake until you feel it. It's not a perfunctory, I forgive you. But then you go away and say, frism, 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 and you really don't. That's not going to cut it. It's not a say the right thing kind of forgiveness. It's something that has to be able to be deep. And how do we access something that deep? You know, people say forgive and forget. You really can't forget, though, can you? You know, really. I don't think it's possible. How do you forgive somebody from the heart? Um, it's a weighty expectation. Uh, it reminds us of something we ran, we run into in the Lord's Prayer. For if you give, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. Will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins. Your father will not forgive your sin. And again, it's not just a perfunctory surface forgiveness. It has to be forgiveness from the heart because God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God doesn't really judge what we say and what we do. That's not the only thing God scrutinizes. He judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It says biblically, he judges the hidden things. There's things that people don't know about us inside. They see what we do. They see how we behave. They hear what we say. And yet we can't really know what we're thinking and feeling, how other people are thinking and feeling. That's why we can't really judge that. But that is what God judges. He does know what we're thinking and feeling. He doesn't just register the, I forgive you, but he registers the frism, 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 frism inside. What do we do with that? It's easy to get caught up in the, in the mirror. Well, let's not forget the window. And a couple things. Well, let's, as far as mirror lessons are concerned, 
God's forgiveness flows to and through his children. Forgiveness flows to and through his children. The way God communicates his forgiveness, that he forgives his servants, and his servants extend that forgiveness to others. So it's given, and if it's received, it's extended. Therefore, God's children are to be conduits of forgiveness, not just containers, conduits, conduits, that we experience it and extend it. Here's my question, and we'll talk about it. How good are you at experiencing God's forgiveness? You say, I'm good enough. Really? Really? How important is it for you to learn to be forgiven by God? How is it important for us? Um, I think it's an important question. There's a passage in Scripture, we very familiar. Uh, we're going to read past the familiar part. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You've got to remember that. God didn't send his Son into the world to, to condemn the world, but to save it. Yeah, that'll be important to remember, because we're going to come to something in the next paragraph, anyway, we'll just I'll tell you about when we get there. Anyways, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not stand, believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the judgment. Verdict is judgment. So here's the judgment. What is it that God judges? Okay. Light has come into the world. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. There's a guy in verse 20. And the deal with this guy, he's conscious that as he looks in the mirror at himself, that there are problems, defects, things that he did that he shouldn't have done, things that he said that he shouldn't have said, Things that he practiced that he shouldn't have practiced. And he sees it. It's right in the mirror. It's right there. Might not be obvious to everyone. And maybe it's not obvious to him until he's in bed at night and he thinks back over the day what he did, what he said, what he thought. What he felt. So this guy looks in the mirror and sees all this stuff, and there's light, and what he does, he doesn't want to come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I have a question. What is this guy's problem? 
Does he have a faulty view of himself or a faulty view of God? That becomes really important. You can't solve a problem until you identify it. Is this guy's problem that he did things he shouldn't have done? So, if he looks back on his day and there were no misdeeds, that he'd be fine at nighttime, right? Right? Is that right? Is that the point? I see some head shaking. No. Hmm. What's this guy's problem? He's afraid that in the light his deeds will be exposed. You know what I think he forgot to read? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you understand what happened? He missed the window lesson. He didn't look in and see that God wasn't adding up and totaling his sins. So what ends up happening when he looks at the, the things that he did wrong, it becomes overwhelming. But he really he sees what he did, but he doesn't see the king. He doesn't see the king. What's the king's face when he looks at you? That's your face as you look at you. Or it's someone's face that you recall when you think back in your mind about somebody who was very harsh and critical with you. And you can see their face when you did that thing, when you said that thing, and they just kind of looked at you as if you, and maybe not, maybe it wasn't somebody else. Some of us, our worst critic doesn't live outside our body. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Do you? Some of us, our worst critic is right there in bed with us at night in our head. What kind of Christian are you? Yeah, real good. It's really great what you did today. Some of us wrestle with thoughts from the outside. Some of us wrestle with thoughts from the inside. What is this guy's problem? Because this is what the judgment is based on. So we got to be clear. What is this guy's problem? Is it that he did bad things? What is it that he did bad things? Say it. No. No, we all do bad things. We know what this guy's problem is. He doesn't see the king. He forgot that he wasn't condemned. He forgot. Of course, we don't, we'd never forget anything like that, would we? When we look in the mirror, we'd never forget anything like that. You know what the deal is with forgiveness? You can't extend it if you don't experience it. How good are you at being forgiven by him? Experiencing, experiencing forgiveness from him. It is the single most important thing in a Christian to be able to experience forgiveness because you can't extend what you don't experience. Um, The window lesson, God forgives the debt. Um, This is a story about a guy, God forgives the debt. Uh, Tsar Nicholas had a friend who had a kid who wanted to go into the Russian army and he let him and he let him be the paymaster of one of the barracks. And this kid wasn't really up to it morally, 
and scrupulously because he was the paymaster. And what he did, he skimmed. So he came to the place where it was, he was told that there was an audit coming. And he knew that the books didn't balance. So he, he in fact, he, he looked at the books. It was, it was one night and he looked and he, he measured what he had on hand from what he was supposed to have on hand. And he said, uh-oh. I'm really in trouble. In fact, he was, he was so miserable what he said. He wrote this on the bottom of the page, a great debt, who can pay? It was big debt. And he determined that he couldn't face it. So what he did, he took out his revolver and put it on the table. And he determined that that night at midnight, he was going to kill himself. And so as the night wore on, it was still a couple hours, he drifted off to sleep. And Tsar Nicholas, I guess, it was the, he had a habit, sometimes he would travel through the barracks. And so he knew this guy that he was the son of a friend, and so he went into this thing. The guy was dead asleep, and he just kind of peeked in as he was wont to do, and then he kind of looked around on the paper, and he, he saw it, and he saw the thing, and he saw the figures, and he knew exactly what happened. And then what he ended up doing, then he wrote a word. and then went out. This guy woke up later on in the evening and um, it was oh, it's almost midnight and he was about ready to take, pick up the revolver and he just looked down at the thing and there was a word there that wasn't, hadn't been written before. He just, he didn't understand what happened. It said, Nicholas, a great debt, who can pay? And there was, there was and, he, and he checked it. It was the signature. He checked, he had a star Nicholas's signature. And he, he, it, it was Nicholas, and he understood what had happened. Um, and the next day, the money came from Nicholas to, to pay the debt. Um, God forgives the debt. Here's what's interesting. But he doesn't forgive the debt by paying it. He forgives the debt by canceling it. We read this story a couple of uh, months ago. From page from day 28 of 40 Days with the Ten Commitments. It's in your worship folder. I'm going to read it again. Why am I going to read it again? I can't think of anything more important for us to understand and believe. Because forgiveness needs to flow to us and through us. And you can't give what you didn't get. So, um, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What does it mean to be forgiven? It means that the debt is canceled. Jesus told the story. A man owed a king a lot of money. The amount of the debt was staggering. Take the gross national product of the nation of Israel at the time Jesus told the story. Multiply it by 10. That's how much this man owed the king. The king's representative called the man in. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Not a very realistic proposal. He didn't comprehend how great the debt actually was. Based on the daily wage at the time, it would take the man over 10,000 years to pay the debt. More like over 100,000. Anyways, the king's representative did the unthinkable. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let it go. He walked away from the audit without any debt at all. The debt had been canceled. Acting on behalf of the king, the representative pulled up the man's debt on the screen, clicked select all, and pressed delete. God's forgiveness means that the debt is canceled. The representative did not take money out of the national coffers to cover the debt. He did not restructure the debt. He did not sell it to a collection company. He simply canceled it. There's a line in the Lord's Prayer that we say different ways. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. Which one is authentic? 
Well, both both are biblical. Luke records it one way, Matthew another. It's Matthew, the former tax collector, who records Jesus saying, forgive us our debts. The same words used to describe what the king's representative did. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Literally, cancel our debts. Do what the king's representative did in the story as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's get back to the man whose debt is canceled. He walks away from the audit, sees a man who owed him a couple months worth of wages and has the guy thrown in prison. This did not sit well with the king's representative. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't I have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Why didn't he forgive the man who was indebted to him? Why didn't he forgive the man who was indebted to him? Perhaps he let the audit too soon. He didn't have time to consider what had happened. It hadn't sunk in yet. On paper, he was in the clear. In his mind, he was still indebted. I'd like to write another character into Jesus' story. He sits the forgiven man down before he walks away from the audit. He spells it out for him. Your debt is canceled. The man begins to comprehend the debt is canceled. Canceled. The debt is canceled. The wonder of it dawns on him. As a result, he was able to cancel the debt of the man who was indebted to him. We can't change this man's story. It is already written. But your story is not yet written. Your story is not yet written. Reflect on what God has done for you. Make room for it. Think about it. God the Father sent his son to represent him. With the Father's full agreement, the son has canceled the debt. Your debt. The debt is forgiven. Canceled. Good is ahead of you. Good is guaranteed for you. To you, the debt is canceled. Faith and forgiveness is the heartbeat of Christianity. It says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I'm going to tell you to practice something. Confession. You know what confession means? Say the same thing as. That's what confession means. It doesn't just mean that you admit what you did wrong. It admits you, but you think about what God says about it. Um, What does God say about your sin? What does God say to you when you sin? Do something wrong. I think this is what he says. I'm still in you. Because I put my law on your mind, I write it on your heart, I'm still with you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. But look at the thing I did, I'm still in you, and I'm still with you. Good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. So you know what I'd encourage you to do? I would encourage you to be brilliant at this. Because you can't extend what you don't experience. We think that we're being light on ourselves when we kind of take forgiveness too seriously. I can't think of anything more important to be serious about than being forgiven. I can't think of one thing that's more important than that. You cannot extend what you don't experience. 
Let's be brilliant at experiencing God's forgiveness. And what does that mean? Practice it. Practice it. You cut somebody off. You tell somebody off. You look at that thing online. You say that thing. You do that thing. What does it mean to practice forgiveness? It means to say, God, you know what? I did it again. But you're still in me. And you're still with me. And good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. Over, over. Do it every day. You know what's going to happen over time? Once you listen to me, you're going to start to believe it more deeply. And when you do that, you're going to find yourself extending. I remember once I was talking to God. I said, God, please give me victory over this sin. You know what I got in the back of my mind? And I think it's absolutely true. It's more important that you learn to be forgiven than it is that you be granted victory over sin. It's more important that you learn to experience forgiveness than it is that you be granted victory over sin. Would you agree with me? In light of this parable, the answer is absolutely true. Practice that. When you think about what you did, talk to him about it. But confess, say the same thing as God says. You're still in me. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, we throw penalty flags at ourselves. We think of thoughts and feelings we shouldn't have had, and we judge ourselves because we think that you are. We're reflecting to ourselves what you reflect toward us, and that's not the truth. Now, we do things that are wrong. Ultimately, you want us to love you and love others. We're not going to do that if we're throwing penalty flags. I ask that little by little, we would become so good at understanding your forgiveness that we would stop throwing penalty flags at ourselves. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't think about what we don't want to do, but we'll talk to you about it. Rather than cower and shirk away, that we would become, we would learn to more non-judgmentally explore our thoughts and feelings and talk to you about them. Father, I did this. I said this. I really wish I hadn't. The thanks that you're still in me and you're still with me and good's still ahead of me guaranteed. God, why do I think things like that? Why do I do things like that? Thanks that you sympathize with me, Jesus. You understand what it's like to be pulled apart and you deal gently with me. Father, thank you that you say, shh, be still. I am God. I'm going to be exalted. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And you want us to approach the throne of grace and speak freely. Not be silenced. Not cower. Speak freely. You, are, you live in a, in a family room, not a courtroom with your children. I pray that little by little we become better at experiencing divine forgiveness and applying it deeply to ourselves, to the heart, not surface, so that we would be able to extend heart-level forgiveness to others. I know this takes a long time.
And then we'll never be great at it. I'd ask that we'd practice it and we'd become better at it. In Jesus' name, amen.